Morning, everybody. I'm Trudy. I'm going to read for us this morning from two passages. The first is from 1 Kings, chapter 17. It's about a thousand years before Jesus' time. And it's in the context of Elijah, the prophet, who is staying with a widow and her son, and it's a severe famine, and they're essentially expecting to die. So pretty dire circumstances. So we'll start there. 1 Kings, chapter 17, starting verse 17 through to 24. Some time later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, Have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. The second passage is from Luke chapter 7, verse 1 to 17. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come. That, sorry, that is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you. I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house to find the servant well. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier. They were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Thanks, Trudy, and good morning, everyone. My name's Mark. If we haven't met, I'm one of the 
one of the pastors here. Um, do you remember back in 2018 on the news, there was that story about a, a cave system in northern Thailand that, that got really badly flooded and that there was a whole group of kids uh, that got trapped in it. Um, and there was this incredible international rescue mission that took, that took place that saw all of the kids and their, their coach as well get out alive. Um, to get the kids out, they needed, they needed not only experienced divers to be able to get in through the flooded caves and, and get into the kids, but they also needed someone who could give them a, a health check and someone who could inject them with the right medications to, to get them through the underwater journey uh, back to safety. Uh, and so one of the guys who played a crucial role in that mission was uh, an Australian guy called Richard Harris. Um, he, now, he had three decades of experience, not just as an, an anaesthetist, it's two hard words to say together, an anaesthetist, um, but also as a professional cave diver as well. So it, it was almost as if he spent his whole life preparing um, for his role in this rescue mission. Uh, well, the big story in Luke's Gospel is of an even bigger rescue mission than that, one in which all of us are the ones who need rescuing. And, again, there's a man who's uniquely qualified to save us. Now, the two healings that we just read about um, just now, they, they show us the authority, the power, and the heart of Jesus. They, they show us how he is the one who came to make God's long-promised rescue available to all people. And they they give us just a taste of of what this salvation is that Jesus came to bring. Um, So firstly, we see Jesus' authority and power. Uh, We pick things up in Luke chapter 7 as Jesus enters a town called Capernaum. You can see, well, hopefully, if you've got good eyesight, you can see where that is on the map. Um, And as he enters this town, he he encounters a tragic and, and seemingly hopeless situation. Uh, We read that a a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servants. Now, Capernaum was a town where there were Jewish people who were living under Roman occupation. Uh, The centurion, obviously, is a commander in the Roman army. And so, so we might not expect the Jewish leaders to be particularly sympathetic to his, to his situation. Um, but we read that they, they come to Jesus and they plead earnestly with him. This man, the centurion, he deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he's built our synagogue. So they're saying, Jesus, this centurion, he's a good guy. He, he's done good things for, for us. He deserves you to do this. But then the centurion himself realizes that that's actually not true. He, he sends some friends to Jesus as well to, to say to Jesus, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. Um, so you can see the Jews, they think that the, the, the centurion deserves to have Jesus heal his servant. But the centurion doesn't even think he's worthy to be in the presence of Jesus. He's not worthy to come to Jesus. He's not worthy to have Jesus in his home. Uh, And the reason for that is because the centurion understands where the authority lies in this situation. Um, He says to Jesus, I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. 
I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. This is a man who gets authority. He knows how the, how the org chart works. He's got people above him all the way up to the, the Roman emperor, and he's got people below him all the way down to the, the Jewish people who his army is ruling over. And yet he recognises that one of these Jewish people is actually the one with true authority. His job title and all the good things he's done for the local community mean nothing. Jesus is the one with authority. Authority over the centurion and authority over the sickness that his servant is suffering with. And so even though the centurion knows that he's not worthy to have Jesus in his home, he still says to him, say the word and my servant will be healed. I know you can do it, Jesus. I know you've got the power. I know you can do it without even coming here. And Jesus shows his power by healing the servant. Uh, The centurion's friends, they go back to the house and they find out that this servant who was about to die is now well. It's extraordinary. This this isn't a a sniffly nose or a a sore knee or anything like that. This, This guy was close to death. It's not just a lucky coincidence. This is life-giving power from Jesus. And without even going to the house where the servant was. Before he heals the servant, Jesus praises the centurion. He says, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel, so even among Israelite people. Why does the centurion have such great faith? Well, it's, it's because he recognizes not just Jesus' authority and power, but, but also his own unworthiness as well. And what's interesting, I, I didn't pick up on this until I'd read this passage about 10 times, but, but what's interesting when you read through these events is the centurion never even meets Jesus. Doesn't see him once. He, he hears about Jesus. He sends people to go and talk to Jesus. But he never actually sees him. And yet he gets that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is the one with power and authority. Uh, the next scene follows straight on. Jesus moves to another town called Nain. And you can, again, see it there on the map if you've got good, good eyesight. Um, he's got a large crowd with him, following him. And, and again, he enters a new town and he's confronted by another tragic and hopeless situation. Um, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. Uh, so Jesus is walking into the town with this crowd of followers behind him. And, and, he, and he meets this grieving widow with her crowd of followers. With her. Uh, we read that then he, he went up. He touched the, the beer. They were carrying him on. And the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. Now, this is, this is shocking on a number of levels, right? Like, firstly... It seems incredibly insensitive. You know, imagine walking up to the front of church during a funeral and just banging on the coffin and, and shouting at the dead person to, to wake up. 
but not just that, but secondly, Jewish people were meant to avoid dead bodies at all costs, or, or they'd risk being unclean under Jewish law. Uh, but the greatest shock comes next when the dead man gets up and begins to talk. And the crowd who, who watch this, they're amazed, as you would be. They've seen just before that Jesus has authority over sickness, but now they see that death itself comes under his power. And they're filled with awe and they praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they say. These two healings that Jesus has performed here, they're strikingly similar to ones that were done almost a thousand years ago by a couple of Old Testament prophets who have confusingly similar names of Elijah and Elisha. Uh, and we read, about, we read about one of them just before in our first reading. So Elijah raises a widow's only son back to life, um, very similar to one of Jesus' miracles. Um, the other one happens a few years later. It's recorded in the book of two kings in the Old Testament uh, where Elisha heals a guy called Naaman who, who has leprosy. Now, Naaman, he's a military commander. He's working, serving a, a foreign king who's been oppressing the people of Israel at that time. Pretty much like what the Roman Empire was doing in Jesus' day. Um, so you can see that there's a lot of parallels um, that these two healings in the Old Testament have with the ones that Jesus has just done. And so it's not surprising that the, the people who see these things declare that Jesus is a prophet. But we're supposed to see that he's more than that. Back in chapter 4 of Luke's Gospel, so we re rewind a little bit in Luke's Gospel, uh, Jesus had been preaching in Nazareth, his his hometown. Again, take my word for it if you can't read the words, but it's, it's right there. Um, and he, he's told the people there, Jesus has said, I'm the one who's come to bring God's salvation that the prophets have promised about. I'm the one that's come to bring it. And he reminds them of these two miracles that Elijah and Elisha did, the, the widow's son being raised back to life and, and the, the servant being healed. And, and he reminds the people that these miracles, they'd happened at a time when the people of Israel were ignoring God. They weren't being faithful to God. And they both involved non-Jewish people getting healed. And the point that Jesus is making is that lots of Jews are going to reject him and they're going to miss out on God's blessing. But lots of Gentiles, lots of non-Israelites are going to experience his blessing. And he says to them, you will tell me, you'll tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard you do that you did in Capernaum. So in other words, Jesus is saying something is going to happen in Capernaum that's going to show you that I'm telling the truth about who I am and what I came to do. We fast forward to chapter 7 and, and we see it. We see that, that God has come to help his people, not by sending a prophet, not by sending another prophet, but by entering into humanity himself with power and authority to save so Jesus, the Son of God, has power and authority to bring God's long-promised salvation. A salvation that's available for all people. 
So much so that it's a, a foreign Roman soldier who, who has greater faith than anyone else in Israel. Uh, it's a reminder that we're, we're saved, not because of where we're born, not because, of we, not because of going to church, not because we're good people. We're saved by recognizing that Jesus is Lord and responding to his power and his authority. But it's not just Jesus' power and authority that we see in these events. Um, right throughout this passage, we see Jesus' compassionate heart, his compassionate, loving heart. Um, so for starters, Jesus, when he gets approached by the Jewish elders, he, he goes with them when they ask him. Now, he, he could have pointed out right at that moment that the centurion wasn't worthy, that the centurion knew it. Jesus certainly would have known it. But he goes with them. He heals the servant. And then his response to the centurion's faith, it shows us something of Jesus' heart. We, we read that Jesus was amazed. Jesus is amazed. Now, he's not surprised. It's not as if Jesus had no idea this was going to happen. Like, wow, I had no idea that the Roman centurion was going to believe in me. He's emotionally affected by this. As he sees someone in unlikely circumstances recognizing and responding to who he is. Jesus is moved by the faith of the centurion. And then we come to the widow. Uh, so for a woman at that time to have lost not just her husband, but, but also her only son, well, she would not only have been devastated by grief, but, but she would have been left without anyone to protect her and to provide for her. It would have been a hard enough situation in, in today's day and age, but, but back then it would have been far worse. Uh, when, when the Lord saw her, when Jesus saw her, uh, we read that his heart went out to her. He's moved with compassion for this poor, grieving woman in her desperate circumstances. And there's a beautiful little ending to the healing. You might, you might have noticed it as we read it, where, where Jesus gives the young man back to his mother. Um, just in the same way that Elijah did all those years earlier. Elijah gives the boy back to, to his mother. Jesus gives the young man back to, back to his mother. Jesus isn't just ticking another task off the to-do list. Like, yep, all right, heal the centurion's servant, raise the boy back to life, all right, what's next? Um, there's a really sensitive and caring human touch that Jesus brings here. Jesus is not in any way detached from human pain and suffering. He, he's compassionate. He cares for us in our pain and in our vulnerability. His heart goes out to us. And it was his loving and compassionate heart that drove him to meet our greatest need. By nature, we are all in desperate need of rescue. All of humanity is in desperate need of rescue. That's the situation that the Bible presents us with, um, that we live out of step with the God who created us to center our lives on him. Uh, we've made ourselves his enemies, deserving his judgment, and unable to rescue ourselves no matter how hard we try. Um, so we face God's eternal judgment. That's, that's the, the scary enough message. 
But even now, we live with the weight of the brokenness that comes from rejecting God. Uh, we see it and we experience it in our, in our bodies, um, in our lives, in the world around us. Uh, the sickness, sadness, conflict, war and the death that we experience around us. And Jesus uh, is moved with compassion for us. He's not prepared to leave us like that. And so he came to save his people. He came to to die in our place, to take the punishment that we deserve for living out of step with God and and putting ourselves at the center instead of him. Um, Jesus came not only to die, but to, to rise again, defeating death, opening the way to new life. And one day, one day Jesus promises that he's going to come again. He's going to be with us in this new creation that he's promised. And there's going to be none of the the sickness, none of the pain, none of the death that we face today. You know, sometimes you get towards the end of a sermon and and, and you think about what the application is. And maybe it's 10 things I need to do this week or three questions I need to ask myself this week. Um, But sometimes you just have to take in the view from the top of the mountain. And, And what Luke wants us to do here is to take in Jesus, to see Jesus, to see more clearly who he is and what he came to do. Seeing his authority over all things in my life and everywhere else. Um, Like the centurion, recognizing who Jesus is and who I am. Seeing his power over everything that's wrong with the world that we live in from the the niggly little back pain that I get when I sit down for too long, to to death itself and everything in between. And seeing the the compassionate heart of Jesus to save us at great cost to himself. These two healings that that we see in Luke chapter 7, they they give us just this tiny little taste of the salvation that Jesus came to bring. We see him enter into a hopeless situation with, with the power, the authority, and also the heart to set things right, to undo everything that's wrong with the world. Um, the word that's used here for, for heal, um, that, that gets used in this passage, it, it can also mean to save as well. And we'll see it kind of gets used interchangeably over the next couple of chapters um, the, the point being that as Jesus brings this physical healing, uh, he's actually showing something of the bigger rescue that he came to bring. He's showing us what it means that he came to save us. Uh, maybe you're in a season right, of life right now where, where you're really deeply affected by the brokenness of life. Uh, maybe you're struggling with mental or physical health, um, grieving the loss of a loved one, maybe, maybe worrying about someone who you love. Well, Jesus doesn't promise a miracle in this lifetime. But what he does promise is a day when all of the pain will be gone. And we can know that that even now, his heart goes out to us in the struggles. Um, we We can bring our pain and bring our grief before him, knowing that he gets it. He's walked that path himself. He cares. And he cares so much that he's promised to do something about it forever. 
Um, maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure about Jesus and Christianity. Maybe you're still working it out. Maybe you're just not convinced, full stop. Um, great, that, great that you're here, if, if that's the case. Uh, my encouragement would be to, to think about the brokenness of life in this world. Um, how it's impacted you, how it's impacted people around you. And to seriously consider not, not only the explanation that the Bible gives us um, for this brokenness, which is people choosing to live our way instead of God's, but, but secondly, whether Jesus truly is the one who can rescue us from this brokenness, whether he truly is the one with the answers, whether he's the one that can reverse everything that's wrong with the world. Uh, tomorrow night's the second night of the, the life course that we're, that we're running, and we're actually going to be looking at this whole idea of sin and, and its impact on life and, and how Jesus came to rescue us the solution that Jesus came to bring. Um, so it doesn't matter if you made it along last week or not. If that's, if that's a question you're wrestling with or you want to hear more or, or ask questions about it, um, everyone is welcome to come along. You can, you can um, listen, you can ask questions, you can enjoy some food and drink and, and perhaps come away with something to think about from the night. Um, maybe you think to yourself, Jesus would never want anything to do with me. Not with my past not with the things I'm struggling with right now. Well, if that's you, you're in good company. Uh, the centurion that we read about in, this, in these stories shows us that knowing we're not worthy of Jesus, that's the starting point of true faith. None of us deserve to have Jesus in our lives. But that was no barrier for Jesus. In fact, that's why he came in the first place. There's nothing in my life, nothing in your life that his heart can't handle. And maybe, maybe you're here this morning and, and you do follow Jesus, you know he's your Lord and Saviour, but, but it all just feels a bit stale. It doesn't, doesn't excite you anymore. Uh, maybe it's the, the struggles of day-to-day life, or maybe it's just the passage of time. My encouragement for you would be to, to take the time to remember your own rescue story. All of us, at some point, were, were hopelessly lost. Um, like the centurion's servant, like the widow's son, uh, like those boys stuck in that flooded cave five years ago. We were hopelessly lost, needing someone to rescue us, whether we realized it or not at the time. So my encouragement would be to, to think back to how Jesus broke into your life and broke into your heart with his rescue mission. How his power, his authority, and his loving heart saved you from a life without God's grace. How your, your life and your hope has been changed by his death and resurrection. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you for the power, the authority, and the loving heart of Jesus. Thank you for his rescue mission to us and the sure hope that he will one day undo all that's wrong with the world forever. And as we behold both his mighty power and his boundless love that we see in these healings, we ask that you would help to fix our eyes on the eternal healing that he came to secure for us. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.